Well, you've heard this story, I'm sure, from Mert, uh, but I'm going to repeat it, and I won't repeat it near as well as he tells it. But um, Ole lived across the Minnesota River from Clarence, uh, Clarence Bunsen, and he didn't like him at all. They were yelling across the river at each other all the time, and Ole would yell to Clarence, if I had a way to cross this river, I'd come over there and beat you up good. And that went on for years, back and forth between them. Finally, a state built a bridge across the river right there by their houses. Ole's wife, Lena, asks, Now's your chance, Ole. Why don't you go over there and beat up that Clarence like you said you would? Ole replied, Okay, by Yimmy. I think I will just do that. Ole started for the bridge, and he saw a sign on the bridge, and he stopped and he read it, and he turned around and came back home, and Lena asked, why did you come back? And Loli said, Ole said, Lena, I think I changed my mind about beating Clarence up. You know, when I yell at him across the river, he don't look so big. But they put a big sign on that bridge that says Clarence is three foot six inches tall. <laughs> Well, sometimes in the church, sometimes in the church, there is conflict just because there's people. Sometimes um, you go through the scriptures and there's all kinds of conflict. And we sometimes as Christians get it in our heads that if we're Christians, there just should never be any disagreement or conflict or anything else. But it's very interesting that as you walk through the scriptures, God does not ignore that. In fact, he almost puts it on display for all to see. And if you go to Acts chapter 15, which is where I'm going to be this morning, and I'm just going to cover the first part of it. There's really two major disputes and disagreements happening in Acts chapter 15. One of them is over what is required of Gentiles who are becoming Christians, and the other one is is really, truly, a personality clash uh, between Peter and Paul and Barnabas and John Mark and all of that. And so it just has to do with people um, and resolving that. So I'm going to start here with uh, Acts chapter 15 and start with verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, and they were teaching the believers. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some of the other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Conflict and disagreements are right here as a part of the human story and right here even within the early church and right here recorded for us in the Bible. God's word never tries to cover it up. It never tries to erase it um, or hide it. It's there and God puts it right out there for us. You go through the Old Testament and you just read one conflict after another. 
And it's interesting that God doesn't ignore that or cover it up. He brings it out. Um, and a lot of times our backgrounds have a lot to do with our convictions and the way we think and the way we do things and all of that. And so when we get together, we all come with our different backgrounds and our different backgrounds, uh, convictions, and those can bring us into sharp disagreements at times. Well, the Pharisees who had gotten saved, those Pharisees that had gotten saved, they, they decided that they were going to make sure that the Gentiles who came to faith in Christ had to jump through all of the hoops that they had jumped through as Jews and as Pharisees. And so they came down and said, you cannot even become a Christian until you have been circumcised and until you follow all the rules and all the laws of Moses, uh, not just the Ten Commandments and the moral laws, but the dietary laws, the health laws, and the ceremonial laws. Until they do all of that, they can't become Christians. Well, that was an awful lot to expect of a Gentile that had no Jewish background at all. But that's what they were demanding. And so um, instead of sweeping this debate under the table like we would be prone to be do, and which I would be prone to do because I just don't like conflict, um, you know, they decided to handle it head on. They dealt with it. You know, we probably would have just said, well, try to make things work and and never really addressed the real issue, but they had to address the issue. What are we going to do with these Gentiles, and are they going to be allowed to just become Christians without adopting all of the Old Testament regulation and all of that? So they decide to take it to Jerusalem and to take it to James, who was the bishop and who was the leader of the church at Jerusalem. Now, sometimes it is important for us to take our disagreements and conflicts to a higher level and, and take it up and, and get the leaders to solve the issue and to set direction so the gospel can move forward. And that's exactly what they did. But as I said, James was the half-brother of Jesus, and he was also a very conservative man. He was known for that. He wrote the book of James, and, and James is probably one of the most conservative books in our New Testaments. And, and so he had that reputation. And if anything, the early church might have expected James to lean towards the mindset that the Pharisee Christian came to them with. But still they went to James, and still they went to Jerusalem, and so they went there. Now the difference between a conservative... And a legalist is this, though. A legalist will make all those requirements a matter of your salvation. A conservative will hope that you will eventually adopt some of those, but they don't require it for salvation. And James was a true conservative in that matter. Um, conflict here, as you see in this text, can be a good thing. And sometimes one of our problems as Christians, we see all conflict as bad. But that's not God's view on conflict. Conflict sometimes drives us to make decisions that will move us forward. 
Conflict drives us to, to get in each other's faces and talk to each other and address issues and, and try to, to bring about good um, results from that. And conflict is what forced the church to figure out what they were going to require of these Gentiles who were coming to faith in Christ. Without that conflict, it had taken them a lot longer and they'd have been a lot less effective in getting Gentiles into the faith and into the church. So I'll go on with our passage. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. And so here they are, face to face with each other, dealing with it head on. Everyone, both sides of the fence, they all have to take responsibility for solving the problem and, and with an honest attempt at reconciliation. Now that's, that's what we have to work on as Christians, is that in all things, even when we're in conflict with each other, that there is an honest attempt to have healthy relationships at the end of the conflict to respect one another, and, and to be able to move forward. So they have that honest attempt at reconciliation. And, and the, the thing is, instead of avoiding, which is my inclination, instead of avoiding the people that you have a conflict with, you actually approach them. And so at Jerusalem, they came and they approached each other and they had dialogue with each other face-to-face and all of that. The Pharisee Christians presented their conviction and it was thrown out for everyone to talk about. And so they debated it. Peter, Paul, Barnabas, and James held back and they just sat back and listened to the debate for a while and, and let it get out there for a while. And then, and then after a lot of discussion, Peter gets up and he addresses um, the, the council. And he says, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Then Peter, so he gets up and he speaks. He's the first one, and he approaches this whole issue from what God has already done in the past. And so he talks to them about that, in, in relating to the Gentiles. And, and the first thing Peter says, I'm a Jew. I expected that God would use me to reach Jews for Jesus. And Peter said, but God didn't do that. I would have chosen to go to the Jews and reach them for Jesus, but God called and commissioned me to go to the Gentiles. Remember the house at Cornelius and all of that where Peter... Peter was dead set against some of the practice of the Gentiles and God said, no, that has been made clean. You go and you eat with the Gentiles and you lead them to Christ. And so Peter said, first of all, God called me to go to the Gentiles. Um, Secondly, he said, one of the other things I discovered is that God was giving the Gentiles the Holy Spirit. 
he said, I would have thought that would have been reserved for Jews. <laughs> but he said, no, these Gentiles are receiving the Holy Spirit. And, and how could they receive the Holy Spirit if God didn't want them in the church and in the kingdom? And so he said, the Gentiles are receiving the Holy Spirit. And then the next thing he said, God has erased the difference between Jews and Gentiles. Um, the Jewish dietary laws, they weren't changing any of us as Jews. They weren't changing our hearts. So why impose those on the Gentiles? He said the interesting thing is that God was changing the Gentiles in their heart on the inside. Even without those laws, even without following all the laws of Moses, God was still changing them on the inside. And then, and then he makes this point. Even the Jews, we can't live everything in the Old Testament very well. It's not doing, it's not working very well for us. So why should we export it and give it to all the Gentiles and demand that of them? <laughs> so, and then he, he makes this, this point. The Jews are going to have to be saved in the same way the Gentiles are instead of the Gentiles being saved in the same way the Jews are. So the Pharisees were saying, no, these Gentiles, they have to become Jews before they can become Christians. And Peter actually came back and reasoned, no, the Jews have to become Gentiles <laughs> before they can become Christians. In other words, the only way that you and I are going to become Christians is not by observing the law. It is by putting our faith 100% in Christ. That is the way that we come to Christ. So, then after he's done, the whole assembly becomes silent as they listen to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. So the next people on the scene talk about not what God has done in the past, but what God is doing in the present. And Paul and Barnabas, as they went from where they were to up to Jerusalem, they kept talking to Gentiles on the way and sharing about what God had done in their life. And so they start talking to the Jerusalem council about the fact that many Gentiles were coming to Christ, but also that God was doing miracles among the Gentiles. And Paul and Barnabas, their point was, if God is really interested in Gentiles coming to faith, he would do whatever it takes to bring them to faith. And God was doing miracles, signs and wonders among them in the same way he was doing it among Jews. The same kind of things that were happening in Acts chapter 2 among Jews were now happening among Gentiles. And so God must care about those Gentiles, you and I, just as much as he cares about Jews coming to faith. And so that was their, uh, his point that, that, you know, God right now is working among Gentiles the same way he works among Jews. And then when they finish, James gets up, and of course, he's the leader of the church, in the early church, and he spoke up and he said, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. 
After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. So James here is the bishop of the church, and as I've told you, he's a conservative. Now, someone has said that the job of a conservative is to think of things to be against. Now, James, however, was a wise conservative. So his, his mission in life was to focus on what he was for. And what James was for is seeing as many people come to faith in Christ as possible. And so it was his job to determine and to declare the path for the future. Peter had spoken of reason. He had spoken of experience. He talked about the past, what God was doing. Paul and Barnabas spoke about the present and what God was doing today. James came to it and he spoke about the future and he spoke from scripture and tradition. And so all of those things went into this decision that was made in the church. Experience, reason, tradition, and scripture, and James was the one to use the scripture and say, well, Peter told us this, and that agrees with Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 12, showing that God would bring Gentiles to faith through a descendant of David. James also says the Gentiles were to bear the name of God um, that had been reserved for the Jews. Now, that was a real radical idea at the time. Because only Jews bore the name of God. And all of a sudden, Gentiles were going to bear the name of God. Um, And so that was a radical idea. And James resolved that whole conflict by going back to Scripture, properly interpreting it, and then applying it. And that's where we need to get. We can talk about experience. We can reason with each other. We can talk about our traditions and our backgrounds and all of that. But then we have to go back to Scripture and properly apply it to our lives. And so this is his judgment. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it hard or difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. We should make it hard. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest of times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So James offers a judgment for the church that sets the stage for the the rest of Acts and for the rest of the church in terms of how you and I come to Christ. And it balances the extremes of legalism and license, uh, of just do whatever you want and you you have to do all of these many things in this way. And James, his, his conviction, the point he makes is it's difficult enough to come to Christ. We don't need to make it more difficult for people to come to Christ. And so he basically says the gospel needs to remain simple. Keep it simple and keep it good news. We should never turn the gospel into bad news for people. It needs to be good news. 
And so the way that you and I present the gospel, we need to always make sure that that's what gospel means, by the way, good news. And so when we are presenting the gospel, we want to make sure that we keep it good news about what Christ has done for us. And so that was uh, the major point that he wants to make. And so he says, now, there are some things that we are going to require of you, not 612 things, or whatever the number would be. We're not going to require all of that. You as a Gentile, you don't have to go back and become a full-blown Jew to become a Christian. What are we going to require of you? And James came up with four things. First of all, he said you have to obey the moral law uh, of the scripture. Um, Well, uh, you have to stay away from idolatry. You can't serve any other gods. That was his number one Jewish command. He said, you must serve God and God alone. You can't have any idols. Secondly, he said, you have to observe the moral law of Moses, the Ten Commandments. Um, Morality in terms of marriage and sexuality and, and that expression. And so he's talking there again about key Jewish commands. And then he did two other things, pulled two other principles out of all the Old Testament, and he said, these are key um, in terms of how we move forward as Gentiles, bringing them to faith. They're not, by the way, the same two things we would pull out today. But in that culture, in that context, they were very important. He said, stay away from blood and strangled meat. Now, what is that about, we would ask? Why, why is that so important that these Gentiles could not eat blood and they could not eat meat that had been strangled? Well, strangled meat was meat that still had blood in it. It had not been drained well when it was butchered. And in Jewish background, in Jewish theology, blood, of course, represents life. And so God wanted, (coughs) that's how come um, when we take communion, we talk about the cup being the blood of Christ. His his life is what gives us life. And and when you go through the Old Testament, um, God talks about when Abel, Cain killed Abel. And he talks about his blood. God has heard his blood cry out from the ground. His blood was so important. Um, Blood represents life. And so, even in terms of the abortion argument, if, if life starts with breath, then there's not much wrong with abortion. But if life starts with blood, then abortion is evil and wicked, And life starts with blood. (laughs) And we cannot tolerate it in our society. The concession here is much more of a cultural matter than a real religious matter. And the issue is that Jews and Gentiles, as when Gentiles came to faith, they were still meeting in synagogue. There weren't churches yet. They were meeting together with Jews some of which had not been converted to Christ. And so if you had a potluck, and they did in the early church a lot, if you read, 
They would have joint meals. They'd come together for worship, and then they'd sit down and have a have communion, but also a common meal. And if you had Gentiles coming into the synagogue with strangled meat and dishes with blood, that would be completely offensive to an unconverted Jew who could not eat that as a Jew. And they just felt like that was such a big issue in terms of witness to an unconverted Jew that Gentiles had to make that concession. Now, in other words, here's the principle. There are some things that you can do as a Christian that when you are around certain people, you should not do if you want to see them come to Christ. You have freedom to do some things in your life that you should not do around certain people because it would be such a turnoff and such a bad witness to them. You may not have that same conviction that they do, but you need to be careful how you live so that other people can come to know the Christ that you know. That's the main point that that. Um, James was making here in regard to blood and strangled meat. Um, they did not want Gentile believers keeping other Jews from coming to faith in Christ. And then in Acts chapter 15, verses 22 through 29, the consul sends a letter and they send it with Judas and Silas. And they, they not only want to send the letter, but they want to send people representatives. And so they send Judas and Silas along with the letter to give the decision of the consul to Antioch to let him know this is what we've decided. No idols, no immorality, no food with blood or strangled meat in it. Now again, that wouldn't be our choice today because that doesn't mean a whole lot to us. But he is saying, James is really saying to us that we need to practice our faith in such a way that culture, we are culturally sensitive to the culture around us when we're trying to draw outsiders into our faith. So here's the bottom line in Acts chapter 15 and verse 19. Don't make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. There are people, and you don't know where God is at work in different lives and different people, but there are people that God is at work in and he's turning them little by little to God. And we need to work with our lives so that we don't make it more difficult for Jesus in his work of drawing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus wants us to do a couple of things. He wants us to look for ways to help outsiders follow Christ. He, he wants us to avoid um, making it difficult. Remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 23, he talks about uh, the religious people of the day, the Pharisees. He said, you load up the backpacks of people um, with laws and its rules and regulations, and you make it hard for them to follow God. Can you just imagine, you know, I've seen over here at school, you know, you have some kids that just, I had one kid one time that his backpack was so heavy and it was just horribly heavy. And we got to discovering that he had a whole collection of rocks in the bottom of his backpack. 
It wasn't textbooks that was making it heavy. It was a collection of rocks. <laughs> so we had to get rid of the rocks so the kid could stand up and walk out <laughs> with his backpack. Uh, you know, but, but Jesus says sometimes we do that kind of stuff as, as Christians. We load people's backpacks down with rocks uh, and keep them from being able to become Christians. The second thing, Jesus wants to help us conduct ourselves in a manner that will be the most effective in drawing people who are turning to God um, and, and drawing them into a relationship with Jesus. God's not interested in just drawing people to a crowd. God doesn't, you know, God doesn't care if we average 44 or whether we average 244. God does care that we draw as many people as we can to the kingdom and into a relationship with him. So I'm all for the 244, because that means more people coming to know Jesus. But it makes no difference if they just come and fill our place and they don't know Jesus. We want people to come into a relationship with Jesus. The third thing that Jesus wants is for us to understand and to work with people at different levels of growing maturity. That was part of the friction here in Acts chapter 15. You had people who were at different levels of maturity. In fact, the second personality issue between uh, Paul, Paul had gone out with John Mark, who was a baby Christian, and on a missionary journey, and John Mark was not very mature, and, and he just gave up and left halfway through. So the next time Paul goes on a missionary journey, John Mark wants to go along, and Paul says, no. I will not take him along with me. And Barnabas, who was, you know, this benevolent, loving father image, um, says, no, we have to save John Mark. <laughs> we have to do something with him. And they, they got in such a disagreement that Barnabas and Paul separated, and Barnabas took John Mark and went on his own missionary trip, and Barnabas, uh, uh, Paul teamed up with Silas and went on their missionary trip, and we had two missionary trips out of it, and the kingdom was advanced as a result of it. And later, Paul came back around and said it was a good thing. He appreciated John Mark, and John Mark wrote the Gospel of, of Mark. But if it hadn't been for Barnabas, <laughs> John Mark might have never turned out to be anything. But Barnabas stood in there for him in that disagreement. So we have to work with people at different levels of spiritual maturity. Paul spoke about milk, eating milk, and other people eating meat as Christians. And we have to work with people in all those levels. Um, John talked about children in the faith and elders in the faith. Um, in, in training, we don't expect beginners to pull off the same kind of feats as seasoned athletes or seasoned musicians or um, artists. You know, when you're just beginning, we you can't do what somebody who's been at it for a long time, put a lot of energy into it or is naturally gifted, can do. And so we can't expect somebody who's new in the faith to be able to do what you and I, who have been in the faith for a long time, can do uh, in, in terms of practicing the faith. The last thing is that Jesus wants us to live in such a way that everything we do helps us to love God and helps us to love the people around us even more, um, day in and day out.